Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 53 of the Flying Free Podcast. I don't know if you remember this, but a few episodes ago, I said that we would be doing once a month, we'd be doing a an episode where I interview a survivor who has gotten out of her abusive situation and is flying free. Well, as free as you can fly here on planet Earth. And because I'm just setting this up, I didn't have someone set up in time to do today's episode. And so I was scrambling to figure out what to do. And then it hit me. I'm a survivor. How about if I share my story? So that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to I'm going to be the the butterfly that I'm going to tell you about today. And I'm going to answer the same questions that I ask that I'm going to be asking all of the other survivors. So here we go. Natalie, how did you meet your husband? And were there any red flags before you married him? Well, let me tell you, I met my husband at the church I was part of in my early 20s, and we both ended up being on staff of a college ministry, and he worked with the guys, and I worked with the college girls. We did some group planning together, and we would pray together for this group of kids. He was a new Christian with a past. I had been a devoted believer since I was a small child, and I really saw my role as helping to support him in his personal and professional growth during that time. I really admired what a hard worker he was and how willing he was to work behind the scenes on projects without looking for any attention or limelight, and that really impressed me. I thought that this was a sign of humility. I didn't learn until later that humility was, well, it was more than that. Okay, well, Natalie, what number two, my second question is, what were some of the ways your husband emotionally and or spiritually abused you throughout the course of your marriage? So the main problem that I had with my husband was his inability to take responsibility for anything. So if anything went wrong, it was never his fault. It was always someone else's fault, and I was married to him, so it became mine. Whenever I felt hurt by something he said or did, if I brought it up, he would turn it back on me and blame me, making himself out to be the, uh, the victim. And this really confused me, because I couldn't figure out how I could be hurt And yet it was my fault that I was hurt. So I was raised on Bill Gothard. All right. I grew up going to all of his seminars every year when he'd come into town. And I had been taught that if anyone was offended with you, you needed to say you were sorry, take full responsibility and ask for forgiveness. So this was, you know, this is great, except when you're living with someone who's unable to do this. So here's how our pattern went. He would hurt me. I would say, you know, the equivalent of please stop or that really hurt. He would blame me. I would say I was sorry and ask for forgiveness. And because I was also taught that forgiveness meant that you had to, you know, forgive even if someone didn't even ask, I would forgive. And then, of course, forgetting meant that I had to sweep the whole mess under the rug until the next time. A couple of months into our marriage, I was filled with this deep sense of despair about what I'd gotten myself into. Divorce didn't even cross my mind, like never crossed my mind. So I just set about to make the best of it. 
Some other issues that were extremely difficult for me included um, there was a lot of gaslighting in our relationship. So he would tell me that my experience of something wasn't accurate or he would say that something happened that or he would say something didn't happen that I was sure did happen. Um, He often left out information. So I was I didn't know exactly what was going on. My life was like one constant bundle of confusion, guilt, shame, and despair. I cried a lot. I got sick a lot. And he didn't seem to notice or care. I really felt alone. I wrote this in my journal a few months before we got married. Um, Here's what I wrote. I need you, meaning God, because I I always wrote to God in my journals. I need you, God, to help me work through something in my relationship with so-and-so. I need help. I saw him grow in confidence while we worked together last year, but now that we are engaged, I see more clearly that he depends on me for feeling good about himself. This means that when I praise him or I'm happy around him, he's happy and content and even confident. But if I bring up the slightest serious or negative thing, like last night in his relationship with so-and-so, he gets mad. He yelled at me last night when I told him he was being defensive. Why can't he just admit that he's an imperfect human being? He can in generalizations, but not in specific examples. He's got every excuse in the book. If he makes a mistake, there's a million reasons why it happened. It's never his fault. He can't even share with the college group his personal failures. He talks in generalizations that never mean anything to anybody anyway. He won't open up and admit to any weakness. I'm scared. And then... Um, a, a, a couple months later, I wrote, so-and-so and I worked, sort of worked through things. I just need to focus on his strengths. I think I'm expecting perfection from him and he expects the same from me. And then in my journal, I make a list of 20 things that I appreciate about my fiance. All right. The third question is what coping strategies did you employ? Well, my main coping strategy was spiritualizing everything. I'm going to read, share with you some of my journal entries because I think it, the the journal entries really capture what I was going through. Um, This first one was written a year and a half after we were married. I had just lost a baby girl a few months prior to this, and I was expecting another baby and I was already having problems with the pregnancy and I had to be on bed rest. So here's what I write while I'm on bed rest. Dear Jesus, I'm back home from the hospital now. The place is a mess, dishes everywhere dirty. I get up to get all my snacks. So-and-so is gone. He comes back and crashes on the couch. Then he's going to a bachelor party tonight, so I'll be alone again. I have to ask for everything. This is so bad. I already hate being on bed rest. I feel like such a burden, but I don't think I am. I'm doing everything for myself to keep my baby alive. It was so nice to have had one week with real help and support. Someone who met my needs and my baby's needs before I had to ask. Someone who kept me company without expecting anything in return. Lord, I need a big dose of a lot of things. I need humility to ask every time I need something. I need you to give me patience to wait all day for for it if I have to. I need you to give me wisdom to know what's best for my baby. I need you to give me a good, cheerful attitude to keep my husband from feeling like a failure and to keep my baby feeling safe and loved. I don't have any of these things right now. I don't feel loved or cared for by anyone. I'm trying to make the sacrifice of my life to save this baby, 
but I feel very much like I'm doing it alone. Please help my attitude. Now, I didn't often write about specific incidents in my journal because I felt that it was a sin to remember them and that unless I could forget them, I would not be forgiving them also. So I spiritualized the entire thing to help me cope. But once in a while in my journals, I kind of allude to the problem. So here's something I wrote. I have so many problems in my life, so many knots. I feel so confused and hopeless of ever being free of these knots. And then my journals are full of scripture verses, and I would read lots of books about suffering and trusting God in the darkness, so I would write the quote, you know, my favorite quotes from those books. I was really lost and very much alone during that time. Here's another journal entry. God is showing me so much about forgiveness, especially when someone has caused great pain over and over and will never admit it or apologize for it. Someone has hurt me many times, and I have never forgiven them. Now, at the time, you have to understand, I thought that forgiveness meant that you had to completely forget about it and be reconciled in the relationship regardless of whether or not the other person, you know, was involved or was sorry or anything. So I now know that forgiveness can be extended even while a relationship has to end because the other person isn't interested in doing their part in the process of reconciliation. But back then, I viewed my lack of finding that reconciliation, which I desperately wanted, as my own lack of forgiveness. Um, and it was just one more unnecessary thing that I took on, you know, myself, full responsibility, and I would berate myself for it. Um, I also, I continue writing, I've longed for them to recognize the hurt they've caused. It's so much easier to forgive then, but that doesn't take any character. Again, I wouldn't call that forgiving now. I would call this reconciling. I would say, if I was to write this now, I would say, it's so much easier to reconcile then. (laughs) And that, you know, but forgive, um, I was actually extremely forgiving because I lived, um, really desire loving him, loving him and serving him for many, many years. And, um, in spite of the way he treated me. Okay. But then I continue to write, but that doesn't take any character. I have an opportunity to see God do a miracle in my heart. He can provide the comfort I need for my pained heart and the grace I need to forgive and love this person. Please help me, Jesus, to forgive this person completely and with a cheerful heart. So number four, how did you come to realize your relationship was abusive and that you needed to get out? Again, I'm going to read you out of my journal over the course of the years so that you can see my thinking and how it began to change. So three years into our marriage, I wrote this. So-and-so and I are having many struggles. I've finally figured out what the main problem is, though, and why I haven't discovered it until now. I actually knew, just as an aside, I actually knew what the problem was. I just um, didn't, I, I hadn't put it into words really, or admitted it. I know that he will need outside help to get better, I write. It is like an addiction and he needs an intervention of sorts. It has slowly destroyed me though. It's destroyed my self-worth. I've become melancholy, depressed, and insecure, But I've fought it for so long, and I've thought even God must despise me. I've always felt patronized by so-and-so and and treated as less of a person. 
Okay, so that was three months into our marriage. At this point, I tried getting help from a pa- our pastor at the church that we were going to at the time. And that pastor did talk to my husband. But this is what I wrote in my journal after that pastor talked to my husband. We got home from church today and so-and-so never said anything. That's my husband. He's been acting like nothing happened. I made a casserole for lunch, but he wanted to take a nap instead of eating. I'm very sad. I had dreamed of him crying, recognizing his sin and his need of God's mercy, and seeing the pain he has caused in the very core of my being. I had dreamed of him finding mercy and forgiveness and help and love. I love him. I want so badly to see him mature and grow strong in his worth as God's child. I still dream of finding an intimacy and love in our marriage like we've never had before. I know now that I need to move on. I need to seek God and let my husband do what he will to me and pray that God will somehow, some way, keep me from bitterness and protect our son from suffering in his character growth. And I need to love my husband and show him respect. I need to win him over, perhaps, by my character and not my words. I need to forgive without being asked, and I need to find my hope and joy in God alone. Now, at this point in my journal, there were several pages torn out. I, so I must have written down specific things that happened following that confrontation. They would not have been good. It was a very traumatic time for me. I would always tear things out of my journal, specific things that I wrote, because I was afraid that my kids would grow up and see them, and I didn't want my kids to know what was going on. I also did it in the spirit of keeping no record of wrongs. By this time, I was, my brain was in shut, my amygdala was probably swollen. My prefrontal cortex was probably shrinking because that's what happens to you physically. And you stop remembering the specifics. So we would have a fight and I would not, you know, an hour later, I would literally not be able to remember what we were, had fought about. Um, I would be depressed, but I couldn't remember the exact conversations that we were having. So, um, Anyway, I was in a lot of pain. All I could see was, you know, all I could feel was just this thick darkness on every side, and I could not see a way out. Here's what I wrote during that time as well. Psalm 31 is so comforting to me today. I think it was written just for me. One of the deepest challenges and greatest sources of anguish reared its ugly head today. He told me I was a ditz head, stupid and ridiculous. I was told that I thought of myself as superior to others and that friends of mine were even discussing this amongst themselves. Now, this kind of thing was a lie, but these are the kinds of things that he said to hurt me at the time. Um, And then I write, I went into a frenzy of hurt. I felt misunderstood, uncared for, and unloved. It was just a trap. Free me from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. I felt utterly abandoned over to my enemy, but you saw my affliction and know the anguish of my soul. You have not handed me over to the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Psalm 31 even spoke of being a dread to my friends. I have become like broken pottery, for I hear the slander of many. Let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I have cried out to you. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord." In January of 1996, so this would have been um, four years into our marriage, I wrote, 
Today, I feel such a loneliness, and I think it is because the one person on earth I've wanted to count on for love and understanding provides so little of it, sometimes not a bit of it, especially when I need it the most. I've had so many horrible things said to me, I feel utterly cast down. Almost every night, I dream of someone loving me and wanting to be with me and care about me. When I wake up, I feel a constrictive, dark wave rushing over me as reality hits. I need to give up hoping to get this from anyone on earth. I've experienced this from you, Jesus, but I know I can't run away from the person who hurts me the most. I need to get strength and agape love from you to actually return good for evil. So far, I haven't been very successful at doing that. All I have left is a very small piece of coal, cold as ice under a mound of snow. And the person I'm supposed to be burning with love for is the one heaping more snow on it, although he doesn't realize it. A little bit later that year, I wrote, I'm very lonely and weary today. So-and-so is taking out his frustrations on me in such negative ways. I worry about our son and how it affects him. I'm trying so hard to respond correctly, but I hurt so much inside at times. Today, I'm so weary of this ache. I wish so-and-so could show love to me in front of our son instead of so much rage. I wish I knew what to do right away, and I wish I could maintain a bright and cheerful attitude when I'm hurt. But it seems all I can do is cry and hide myself away. I've been feeling guilty about everything and fearful of punishment. I'm afraid you will take my little one away from me. My nightmares have increased a thousandfold since our second baby was born, and during the day, horrifying images plague me out of nowhere. Is this to be a thorn in my flesh for the rest of my life? Set me free, Jesus. And another time I write, I am such a sinner. My depravity runs deeper than I care to fathom. It is a bottomless pit. You love me. You love me. Oh, that this truth could penetrate and illuminate my darkened heart. And then a little bit later, I pray for my relationship with so-and-so that you would bring healing to his wounds. Help me to love him and build him up in spite of how he treats me. Convict him in areas you want him to grow in. Open up his heart to you and spark a fire in him for you. I constantly prayed for my husband, always in hope. I could not have prayed for him and loved him all those years if I'd been bitter and unforgiving. I had to struggle through almost daily personal attacks, and this was trying. When I was trying to get help and trying to explain what was happening, I was told I was a bitter, angry, and unforgiving woman. This is not who I was, though. I was often angry at his treatment of me. I mean, I, I don't think that, you know, to not be angry would even have been human. It would have been to have no, you know, no emotions. <clears throat> so, but anyways, on our sixth anniversary, this is what I wrote. I have such heaviness of heart today. I feel rejected in all areas of my life. So-and-so picks on every little fault of mine to the point of driving me insane and blames me for everything he does wrong. I cannot bear this load on my own. In our seventh year of marriage, I write, I don't feel like I'm thriving in my marriage. I feel so lost and unloved and misunderstood. No matter what I say or do or try, it backfires and I am lonelier than ever. I feel like I'm barely hanging on anymore. Please help me, Lord. Eight years into our marriage, I write, I'm wiped out, Lord. I feel I must be toward the end of what I can bear. <laughs> I read that and I'm like, if only you knew 
the years and years that are still ahead of you. So I write, physically, I'm exhausted and I'm in despair emotionally over my lack of being able to sleep well and to sleep enough. I want so badly to be a good wife and mother, but my physical exhaustion makes it so much more challenging to be patient with my husband's lack of support and encouragement. It seems so unfair. It's hard to give up my right to have a supportive husband. He's a Christian, so I believed that you had to give up all of your rights to anything. And so having a supportive husband was a right that I um, shouldn't have because I was a Christian woman. He's a Christian. The Holy Spirit works in his life, too. So why do I feel like I'm the only one in this family that's being convicted all the time? My sin is ever before me. My weakness and failure shower down on my heart the ability and desire to persevere in love and kindness, to overlook my husband's sins, to forgive and to be long-suffering. Psalms 105:19. Ten years later, I write this. Make me a wife who guards and heeds my husband. Help me cover my husband's offenses with love. When he sins against me or the children, help me cover his sin. Help me be a channel of forgiveness and teach my kids forgiveness and how to overlook faults. How many times do I do the opposite and interfere and correct? I bring attention to his sin in the children's eyes and they are given a reason to be mad by me. I am tearing down my own home. Change me, Lord. I'm a prideful, self-righteous fool. I'm so sorry. I want to walk in your agape love and let it flow through me like a humble, quiet stream of healing to my children and my husband. I had our fourth child and wrote this. I don't think so-and-so understands how badly I need help or a break. He leaves me alone to run all of his errands on weeknights and weekends. He may as well be working 80 hours a week. So he was saying that he was running errands. I have no idea what he was actually doing, but he wasn't home. I wish I had regular times to look forward to where I could have an hour or two all to myself. I feel so drained. God knows my frustration and desires. If he thinks I need something, I know God will provide it at the right time. I thought I had an unexpected happy miracle to recount, but it got taken back. So-and-so had initiated telling me that I could go to the homeschooling conference. I could not believe it. But a few hours later, he was asking me about the education budget and questioning why I had spent it all for last year. So we, we homeschooled, okay. Um, and I, well, I had spent the, the money on education materials thinking that that was what the money was for. So then he said the money was supposed to go to the conference. Or that it, the money had to, I'm sorry, so then he said the money to go to the conference had to come out of my pocket. Now, at the time, I was not making money, and my husband allowed me to have $50 a month to cover all personal expenses for any clothing that I needed, toiletries, um, getting my hair cut. I could not afford to go out with my friends, and he didn't like it when I would leave him with the kids anyway, so I rarely left the house. Anyhow, I did not have any money left over out of my $50 a month to go to the conference. I think the conference usually costs about $50. Um, then I continue writing. This morning, he was very upset because I threw one of his ripped up lunch bags away. He has two, and one always sits in the pantry closet unused. I had bought him a brand new one for Valentine's Day, so I threw one of his old icky ones away. I thought he would be pleased. Once again, I got it all wrong. He wanted me to take back the new one, and he told me this morning about how wrong it was for me to throw away something that was his without asking permission. 
I was sitting on the couch nursing our baby, trying to emotionally prepare myself for a full day with four small children, two students, I was homeschooling at the time, three meals, 25 diapers, two loads of laundry, and four piles of dishes. When I told him in tears how I felt about this and that I was sorry I had done that, but that it would be nice to be encouraged rather than criticized, he replied with, well, at least you said you're sorry. So I swore at him and slammed two doors and spent the morning crying. Is this content resonating with you? I've written a book for women of faith and destructive relationships called Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage, A Christian Woman's Guide to Hidden Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. You can read reviews and find out more about my book on Amazon.com. It comes in paperback, Kindle, and Audible formats. And new for 2020, I've created a companion workbook for Is It Me? also available on Amazon. This workbook is like 11 power-packed therapy sessions to help you process through the important material you'll be learning from my book. These books are recommended by counselors and therapists all over the United States. I've also got a website specifically focused on helping women of faith find hope and healing. It's called flyingfreenow.com. I'll even give you the first chapter of my book and the first chapter of my companion workbook for free when you hop on my mailing list at the top of my website. Those two resources are going to help you figure out if your relationship is normal or destructive. And now, let's get back to our episode. In March of 2002, I wrote, Part of my ministry to my husband is to forgive him and overlook his insults and insensitivity, to die to my own rights and desires to be cared for and loved. This part I am having a hard time accepting, to take the blame for his sin. It struck me the other day that God's call to husbands is to be like God, the head, the one who loved enough to sacrifice what was most dear, even when the wife, the church, rebels. The call to wives is to be like Christ, a servant, the one who takes the sin of others on herself. That is what I am fighting. I do not want to suffer for his sin. I want him to suffer the consequences for his own sin. I want him to love me and obey God and have a vision. I know God wants me to focus on what is good about my husband, and there are truly many things I appreciate and gain benefits from because of my husband. But I want to love and serve him even when his sin is hurting me, and I want to stop sinning toward him through my selfish reactions and my fear. Okay, now when I read that, you guys, I am dumbfounded at how brainwashed I was. That is a crock of BS. I was supposed to take on the sins of my husband? Seriously? I was the o- that it was the only way that I could make sense out of something so nonsensical and confusing. All right. Now there were many pages ripped out of this particular year's journal, and that means that a ton of trauma was happening that year after our fourth child's babyhood. Four years later, I write this. I don't know, but I think I've never been more lonely in all my life. This is four years and two more babies later, by the way. So we had six children by this time. I'm slipping into something very dark and I feel hopeless. I can usually figure something out, a way to cope or a plan of action. I cannot think straight about anything anymore. I guess I'm trying to let go of something, something precious. My stomach hurts all the time. My head hurts constantly. I wish I could be done with everything, go to sleep and never wake up. In February of 2007, 
I write this. This is a year later. Psalm 37. I need to meditate and memorize this psalm. It is a balm on my chaffed spirit. I am so provoked daily. My patience is tried again and again unceasingly with pettiness, immaturity, unreasonableness, and falseness. It is the greatest weariness to me. I just spit back venomous words to get revenge, but that obviously does nothing. I try to point things out gently, which does equally nothing. It is an impregnable wall. Right now, I am in a crumpled heap next to that wall, feeling hopeless and despairing. It will never change. This is my portion in life, this wall. And in May of that same year, I wrote, This past week has been difficult. We are all sick. The main diamond in my wedding ring fell out and is lost. So-and-so let the baby roll away in her stroller at the walk for life, and it tipped over and the baby got a goose egg. My back went out Friday and I was unable to do the walk for life due to extreme pain. So-and-so and and I had a huge blowout Sunday morning and I could not go to church, but stayed home, wept, prayed, and wrote out Bible verses for four hours in an attempt to restore my spirit in Christ. We are such a sin-sick family. I am beside myself for fear, with fear that it will all have been for nothing by the time I come to die. I started bleeding again yesterday. This is the miscarriage that never ends. Two years later, in January of 2009, as I was reading Proverbs, it struck me that my husband fit the description of the fool perfectly. I began writing down all the verses that pertain to fools, and I was shocked. I didn't want to believe it. It felt horrifying to me to admit that my husband was like Nabal, a fool. Here's some of the verses I wrote down. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Leave the presence of a fool. He who rejects reproof leads others astray. He who hates reproof is stupid. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction. The complacency of fools destroys them. A scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Whoever hates reproof will die. A scoffer doesn't like to be reproved. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding. Drive out a scoffer and strife will go out with you, and quarreling and abuse will cease. You guys, this is when I started, the the idea began. The little tiny germ of an idea was planted in these verses that maybe, just maybe, God did not want me to be living with a fool anymore. A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. Now, back during this time, I had started this visionary womanhood group in our church, and I also um, 
I started a blog in 2009 called Visionary Womanhood, and I decided that I was no longer going to wait around for my husband to figure out what direction to take us. I was going to start doing the things that I loved and enjoyed and see what happened. I hoped that I would not be struck dead. I was still living in, you know, in fear that God was going to punish me if I stepped out from underneath my umbrella, my husband's umbrella, which really wasn't, (laughs) which really didn't exist in the first place. But anyway, so be it. I was ready to take God's punishment. I had a good hunch by now that the problem wasn't really me anymore. I mean, yes, I had my own sin, but the pathology in our marriage was not my issue. God was beginning to open my eyes to see the truth. My husband was a fool and I was married to a fool, and I needed to start protecting myself from him. Around the same time, the three oldest kids and I sat down with their dad to share the ways that he was hurting us. Our oldest son even cried at one point. I remember that stuck out in my memory because I thought he was really taking a chance on making himself vulnerable with his dad. That's hard for a guy to do, and he did it because he really was feeling all the feelings about how hurt he was. Um, their dad scoffed and made fun of us for weeks afterward. And of course he blamed us for everything. He said that we were ganging up on him and the whole nine yards. And this is when something snapped inside of me. And I decided that I was no longer going to try so hard to keep the peace by sucking up the pain and pretending that stuff didn't happen. I decided I was going to do something totally heretical in my mind And I wasn't going to say I was sorry for everything anymore. I wanted to see what would happen. And that brings me to question number five. What were some of the biggest challenges you faced in getting out and how did you overcome them? So in 2013, I initiated a brief separation and I insisted that we see a professional marriage therapist. At that time, he had physically abused one of our kids and put bruises on both sides of her face. And we, I had been told by the church not to contact the authorities, but to keep it. I was scared to death. So, but I had, I sort of had my husband in a corner and I was able to um, pressure him to meet with a professional therapist, which who ended up being a quack by the way, but that's a whole nother story that I'm not going to go into. Um, and actually this therapist, he was with us for three days. He ended up really um, kind of taking Joe's side. I really believe that this therapist had marriage problems of his own. So anyway, that um, that whole thing ended up just kind of be it was a waste of a lot of money. Um, $7,500 I paid for that weekend out of my own business. I had started a business make, selling and making soap. And I paid for that out of my own money and it completely backfired. It, it, he, my husband actually made some, uh, aesthetic cosmetic changes for about, for about maybe four or five weeks. And then everything kind of went back to the way it was. So, um, in, I, I decided to stop sleeping with him and I asked uh, him to consider my feedback and to get help for himself. Well, his problems escalated. He did not get help. He was obviously upset that I wasn't sleeping with him anymore. And he was beginning to talk with people in the church who also were upset that I wasn't sleeping with him. Um, So in the fall of 2014, shortly after our oldest son's wedding, I asked him to leave. 
And when he wouldn't, I enlisted the help of a few of my friends from our church and I, I got him to leave. I tried multiple times after that to explain things to various pastors and elders in the church, but nobody really took me seriously. Um, I was rebuked. I was vilified. My husband's story made more sense to them. And my husband was very calm and nice and quiet. But by this time, after this many years um, of just banging my head against a wall, I really had become, I had PTSD. I'd become kind of a raving lunatic and desperate to get somebody to validate my experience and help me. I really believed that someone had to rescue me. Um, After another professional counselor had disbelieved me and I had ended sessions with him, I hired Leslie Vernick to coach me from the fall of 2013 until the summer of 2014, and I really credit her with helping me see my own issues and how they made me an easy target for my husband's pathology. She really gave me the courage to put my big girl pants on and make some hard decisions to stand up and say no more, and um, against the wishes of the people at my church. I began to find more and more resources at that time that explained what I had been going through, and it they helped me see my experience as the destructive force that it was. They helped me to re- put a name to it that it was abuse. Um, so 2013 until 2016 was a huge, huge grieving process where I continued to hope that my husband would wake up, be convicted, repent, and change so that we could be together. I just, I could not fathom getting a divorce or being away from him. I loved my husband. Um, The song that kept running through my head during this extremely agonizing time was Say Something by Christina Aguilera, 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 I'm not sure how to say her name. Anyways, by her. And um, that song I would listen to and just like, just bawl, like ugly cry through that whole song. So during that time, though, while I was going through all of that, my husband, in the meantime, was grooming the elders of our church to believe that he was just a broken man in need of some tender love and that his judgmental, arrogant, unforgiving, mean wife wouldn't give it to him. And I decided I needed to stop trying to get help from them. And I realized the only one that was going to help me at that point was myself. God began to show me that he had equipped me with the courage, the information, the motivation, and the resources to get myself out. And the only one standing in the way of me and freedom at that point was myself. I decided to get out of the way. And after almost two years of a physical separation, plus that one year of an in-home separation, I filed for divorce in April of 2016. So the sixth question is, how did life get harder for you after this? And what were some of the bad things that happened because you got out? I'm just going to be really brief here. Basically, my church excommunicated me. I was crying constantly. I began having panic attacks and I fell headlong into a deep depression. So the seventh question is, how did things get better? I ended up getting diagnosed with PTSD and I got on medication for depression and anxiety I also started doing EMDR therapy, which turned everything around for me. A few months into the divorce uh, process, I met my now husband, his name is Tom, on Facebook. We had graduated from the same high school, but other than that, we didn't, we never talked to each other in high school. We didn't know each other. We became friends 
online um, through Facebook messaging. You know how you Facebook will bring up people that you know from high school based on other people that you're friends with from high school? That's how I connected with him. So um, by the time the divorce, well, we became friends and eventually we fell in love. The divorce process itself took almost two years, and that's a whole nother story. But by the time the divorce was over, Tom and I were ready to get married. And we did. We, you know, we thought, well, we could wait until, you know, the appropriate time. But I needed health insurance and he had a house for us to move into. I had no place to go. And we decided that to that to get married and everyone was already saying such horrible things about me. Now the rumor was circulating that I had borderline personality disorder, that I had had an affair and that was why I'd filed for divorce. And, you know, all of these lies were circulating. And of course, people like to believe gossip, which it just is so ironic because one of the things I was told over and over again from my religious environment is that if I tried to get help and said something... I was gossiping about my husband. And yet these same people were spreading all kinds of blatant lies, like provable. They were lies that could be proven incorrect about me and with no shame whatsoever. Like just, I don't know, just the whole thing was really quite fascinating, I guess. Um, Anyway, the eighth question is, where are you today? And do you have any regrets? My only regret, you guys, is that I didn't get out sooner. When I look back at those journal entries from day one, my heart breaks for that girl that I was. I was like a brain, I I was, I was a brainwashed cult member. And I will never regret leaving that cult and the man who hurt me using that cult's religious beliefs about the value of women, or lack thereof, I should say. The ninth question is, what is one thing you learned through this whole process that you wish you could go back and tell your younger self? So I would tell my younger self that Jesus is not an abuser God. And I would try to teach her about the real, the true God, Jesus Christ. He's nothing like the God that I was told that our church taught me to believe in, that our church believed in. That God is abusive. And I've talked about this and written about this elsewhere. So um, I won't go into that here. Number 10, what is the one piece of advice that you'd give to someone who is contemplating leaving for good? I would say that it's an option. It's one of your options, okay? And you get to decide what's best for you. You're the one that has to live with your life. Not Nobody else has to live with it. You do. Your, God gave you a brain. He gave you your own body. He gave you your own heart. And he wants you to use it, use those resources that he gave you to set captives free. And the first captive that you need to set free is yourself. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Flying Free Podcast. Until next time, fly free.